I'd like to introduce our Babel campus pastor, Pastor Matt Huber. Well, amen. Happy to be here this weekend. It's an honor <coughs> to be able to bring a word here at our Brick campus this weekend. And it is communion weekend, so we're going to be talking about communion. And, you know, communion, I, I love when it's communion weekend and we get to do them. We do a message on communion to prepare our hearts to receive communion at the end of the service. And I love it because there's so much power in taking communion to coming together as a church family, take communion, take communion on our own. But there is power in communion. Amen. Amen. And that's what we're going to be doing today. The goal of this message is really to prepare our hearts to take communion together. And, you know, the communion table, so to say, as you can call it, the communion table is one of the greatest expressions of the grace of God that there is. Amen. We literally can see the grace of God on display at the communion table. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot today is the grace of God in this message and seeing the grace of God and, and understanding the grace of God. And, you know, at that communion table, and we go back to the Last Supper, and Jesus is sitting there with his disciples instituting communion. He's really extending himself to his disciples by offering them the bread and the wine at the Last Supper, which was symbolic, he was explaining to them, of his, of his body and of his blood. The bread was symbolic of his body. The wine was symbolic of his blood. And Jesus is under, explained to them, you're going to be entering into a new covenant, a covenant based upon my blood. And they're having this last meal together. And this Passover meal, and he's instituting communion. And really the entire meal, it's reminding them of the covenant agreement that God made even all the way back with Abram, that exemplifies grace. Something, what is grace? Getting something we do not deserve. And now we are in a new covenant with God through Jesus. Amen? Through the blood of Jesus. And we need to remember that the covenant that we have with God through Jesus, if you really think about it, is really a one-sided covenant. What do I mean by that? God does the giving. We do the receiving. Amen? He does all the giving, we do all the receiving. And when we truly understand that, <clears throat> we truly understand John 3.16 even better. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We are in a new covenant with God the Father through Jesus, through his blood, and God does the giving. He gave his one and only Son for us. We have to do the receiving, though. We do the receiving. We receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen. It's a decision that we make here on earth. And if you haven't made that decision yet, I pray your heart's open to God's word and you'll be able to have that chance to receive Jesus at the end of this service as your Lord and Savior. And during this time, we go back to that table of Jesus and his disciples. And, and during the time when he's, he's instituting this communion meal and he's explaining to them what's going on. And really, the disciples a lot of them, they still have kind of no clue about what's going on. You have some of them that are filled with strife over who's going to be first in the kingdom, and they're also trying to guess who the traitor is because Jesus was explaining one of you is going to betray me. And Jesus, meanwhile, is trying to tell them about this new covenant that is going to be going on. And we could be thinking, are any of these disciples, as this is going on, they're filled with other things, are any of them really worthy to come into covenant with Jesus? And the answer to that, to be honest, would be no. They're getting something that they do not deserve. And honestly, if we look around, God is still doing that today. Amen? 
When we receive Jesus, we're getting something we don't deserve. They didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But that's what grace is. Amen. And here's the thing about grace. We're saved by grace. Amen. But it's important to understand we are saved by grace. We're not saved by grace plus works. We're saved by grace and grace alone. And that's so important to truly understand and to truly grasp. And again, does God want us to do good works? Of course. And I'll be talking about that a little bit. He, his desire is for us to do good works. He's created us to do good works. But we're not saved by grace and our good works. It's just grace alone we're saved. And it's so important to understand that because, see, you could believe you're saved by grace, knowing that. But if you also put your faith in your good works for salvation, well, what happens when you don't do good works or you fall short? You'll still, the enemy will get in your mind and make you think, well, you're not worthy anymore. Or maybe you lost your salvation, whatever it may be. But no, we're saved by grace and grace alone. Amen? Thank God for that. And, you know, even now going back again to that time, you know, almost all the major cities of the Roman Empire, there was pockets of Jews who lived and conducted business throughout Europe, uh, North Africa, the Middle East, and also one such region was Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey. And Paul writes his epistle to the Galatians, to the church at Galatia, and the church at Galatia had a very unique problem in this moment among the churches. There was Jews there who became believers in Messiah Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they began to return to their Old Testament rituals and the idea that a believer was not complete until they submitted to circumcision. And in other words, what was going on, these believers now were placing more emphasis on their doing and less on believing. More in what they were doing and less trusting in God for His grace and they were more trusting in their own ability to earn a place with God. You know, that's dangerous, and we could fall into that trap, too, sometimes if we're not careful. And Paul addresses them in this letter to the church at Galatia, in the epistle of, the, of Galatians. He addresses them about this, and he says in Galatians 3.18, and I want to read from the Amplified Version. It really brings it out. He says, For if the inheritance of the promise depends on observing the law, as these false teachers would like you to believe, it no longer depends on the promise. He says, however, God gave it to Abraham as a free gift solely by virtue of his promise. See, there's a lot to understand there, and it's important. See, Paul's defending his gospel here, and he's describing, even going back to the covenant with Abraham, he's describing the character of the covenant with Abraham that God had. He's proving, and he's also proving that that promise that was given, it's fulfilled in Christ. Amen? The promise that was given, it's fulfilled in Christ, not the law. And, you know, if you really go back to even Abraham, the basis of the covenant that God made with Abraham was really, it was faith. It was not the law because the law came 430 years after Abraham. And he's explaining this and he's saying that promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, not the law. And the enemy, we could see, is trying to get into this church and have, make them have this idea. And Paul answers that tactic, and he challenges them with this thought. And he pretty much says, if rule-keeping could, et- could earn eternal life, then God would have saved us with the law. But we know that's not the case, right? Now, he didn't save us with the law. He saved us with Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean that we could just go live a, a life of total uh, disobedience? Is that what Paul's saying? Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, no, you don't just go live this life of disobedience now. Not at all. He's saying that God, what God wants to do is God wants to write his law on our hearts. Amen? Yeah, 
you know, does God want us to have good works, good behavior? Of course he does. He wants us to be transformed. That should be the goal, right? We should be coming more like Christ. We're never going to be perfect. But when we receive Jesus and we receive him as our Lord and Savior, and we truly realize the grace of God and what he has done in our lives, we should want to honor him with our life. Amen? But Paul, he's saying he also wants us to love others and thereby fulfill the law. That's what's fulfilling the law. He wants, he's saying God wants to write his law on our hearts. But the thing is, is God does never want us to think, he does never want us to think that our works are ever a reason for our salvation, because they're not. Our works aren't a reason for our salvation. You know, God's provision of grace that he has given, he impl it really implies that he has always known that we would never be good enough, so to say, despite our best efforts. And the truth is, is if our works contributed to our salvation, then we would have something to boast about. And he even addresses that. Paul addresses that. He's saying, listen, your works do not contribute to your salvation. Does God want you to have good works? Yes. It even says he's created us for good works. But our works do not contribute to our salvation. Because if we believe that, then we would have something to boast about. In, Gal in, not Gal sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, and, and before that, see, again, God's plan of salvation. God designed his plan for salvation in such a way that the truth is, is we cannot take any credit for it. Amen. And he says this really in Ephesians chapter two, he says, for it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. We are saved by putting our faith in Christ alone. He did the work, we're receiving that finished work that he did. And we can't boast about it. We can just give glory to him, not ourselves. Amen. You know, other religions throughout the world, they will say that if you, if you try hard enough, you know, you could be good. Or if, you know, if you're good, you'll be good enough if you try hard enough. But Christianity says that we simply cannot be good enough, thereby we need grace. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God every day of my life. Every day of my life. Because I know on my own, I'll never be good enough. And that's for all of us. On our own, we will never be good enough. We can never truly deserve eternal life. So the only way we can have eternal life is for God to give us something that we don't deserve. And he made a way for us to experience and have that and have that eternal life. And really, that's the best definition of grace that there is, is receiving something that we absolutely do not deserve. Amen. And, you know, I've been sharing this in the services is that grace. And, you know, I remember when I first got saved almost 10 years ago now and um, obviously learning about the grace of God. And, you know, when you're saved, your spirit comes alive unto God. The word of God is alive and going through the word of God and learning about his grace and then seeing starting to see his blessings in my life. And I'll be honest with you. At first, it was something that was actually very hard for me to receive. I'm talking about it like when a blessing would come from God because something good would start happening in my, in my life, whatever it may be. And I would think, well, I don't deserve this. Just six months, six months ago, I was doing this or I was doing that, whatever it may be. But then I really realized, well, it's the grace of God. Yes, I'm getting something that I do not deserve. 
Amen. That's what grace is. And I want to talk about an enemy of grace because there's an enemy of grace. And one of the greatest enemies of grace is a mindset of perfectionism. Anybody ever struggle with that before? A couple, right? A few, right? I can call myself into that. And that's one of the greatest enemies to grace there is, is a mindset of perfectionism. And what is that? Well, the act of constantly judging oneself by our accomplishments, our achievements, whatever it may be. And, well, why is that really an, an enemy of grace? Well, when we have a mindset of perfectionism and we're judging ourself, maybe our worth on our accomplishments, our achievements, when we measure our self-worths in terms of productivity, accomplishments, again, whatever it may be, that is a trap of the enemy. Because what that does is it causes the individual to keep our focus on ourself, which in therefore keeps our focus on our limitations rather than putting our focus on God and his unlimited ability of him doing something in us. Amen? I don't know about you, but naturally, I have limits. I have limits. But when I tap into God's grace, his empowerment, that unlimited ability of God can start to work in my life. And when we have a mindset of just perfectionism in ourself, that's what we do. We keep our focus on self, but our focus needs to be on God. You know, every single morning I pray, Lord, by faith, I receive your grace for this day. Because I know, you know, you can go into a day and maybe you have an idea of what's going to happen in that day. Maybe you have specific meetings or you have plans, whatever it may be. So, you know, okay, this stuff's happening. But I don't know about you. Unexpected things happen in the day. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's not even, you know, the afternoon yet. I don't know what's going to happen later on this afternoon. But God does. And I know his grace will be there for me. But I need to receive that grace. Anytime before I preach a message here, Bayville, if I record for church online at New Youth, I pray, Lord, one of the first things I pray, and I don't know, I have weird habits. I always do it once the second song starts. I don't know, it's just a thing. I pray, Lord, by faith, I receive your grace for this service. Because I know without his grace, I couldn't be up here speaking. Without his grace, I couldn't, you know, I was talking to somebody between services and they were asking me about speaking and they were surprised when I was telling them, I was like, they're like, you ever think you'd be doing that? I said, absolutely not. I said, I used to get petrified speaking in front of people. I remember taking a public speaking class in college and it was the worst experience of my entire life. Just being honest, it was. I used to be that kid in school growing up. I would literally start feeling sick to my stomach when a teacher was like, okay, we're all going to, students, we're all going to read out loud from the book or whatever. Maybe I'd be like, oh, God, please don't call on me. i start getting so sick just to even read, sit there at my desk and read. So I thank God for his grace because I know this isn't me. This is his grace working in me. I need his grace. And that's not just for speaking. You know, we all have a ministry. We're all in, in ministry, our jobs, our careers. We need his grace, amen? But I need his grace not just to be up here to speak. I need his grace to raise my daughter, amen? Because I have a limit of wisdom. I have a limit of patience. I have a limit of a lot of things. I don't know. But I need his grace to be able to raise her the way she needs to be raised. I need his grace to be the husband that I need to be to my wife. Amen? We need God's grace in every area of our life. And truthfully, when we live our life as a, a perfectionist, it has its root in pride, and it really bears the fruit of bondage. We come into bondage. You know, I was kidding around in the uh, first service, but I, I kind of wasn't kidding because it truly happened. And it was just this morning, you know, 
for me, and this is, it's not, this isn't a big thing at all, but I was kind of laughing to myself on my drive here because I realized it happened is, especially on Sundays, I like my mornings to go a certain way because, you know, it's like I don't have much time and I'm getting ready for service and stuff. And one of the things I hate, especially on Sundays, but I just, in general, I do not wake, like waking up late, like missing the time I'm supposed to wake up. It throws me off. It's just the truth. So this morning, I wake up in bed, and I just, I just wake up, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this is nice. Like, I woke up before my alarm. I can lay here for a little bit. But I'm thinking to myself, like, wait, but what time is it? Because I had my alarm set pretty early. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm hearing the birds already, and it's kind of light out. Oh, well, oh, I'll just lay here. This is nice. And I laid for like 10 more minutes, and I said, okay, let me go look at my phone because I have my alarm on my phone. That I said, I said, let me look at my phone to see what time it is. Maybe I have like 10 more minutes. You know, those glorious last 10 minutes, you know what I'm talking about, when you know you have that, right? So I said, so I get out of bed. I go to my nightstand to look for my phone, and my phone wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I left my phone on the couch. I have no idea what time it is. So I ran to my phone, and it was later than I wanted to wake up. And it honestly wasn't even that, that much later. But immediately, I almost started to panic. And I was like, wait a second, all oh, this. And then I got to make, I, I'm making breakfast. And I started making, true story, started making eggs, and I spilled salt on my eggs, and I had to throw them out and to make new ones. So then I'm like, it's even going to take longer. And then if my wife sees these eggs in the garbage, she's going to kill me because I wasted them. So there's a lot that was going through my mind in this moment. But I was thinking, you know, Lord, Again, by faith, I receive your grace. This isn't even a big deal, this stuff. It's, this isn't life or death. This isn't a big deal. But you know what? Who cares the morning didn't go the way that I was supposed to, it was supposed to go? I have your grace. You knew this was going to happen. Amen. So I'm just going to have peace. I'm going to have joy. And that's just a little thing. Again, it's nothing major. But there has been major things in my life that have you know, come up unexpectedly or haven't happened the way that I thought they were going to happen. or the way Not that I thought the way that I wanted them to happen. But that's okay. Amen? Because I don't need everything to be perfect. And when we do that, again, when we have lived that life as a perfectionist, it can give us bondage. It's really bondage. And what happens is that bondage will manifest itself in a lack of self-worth and unhealthy roller coaster of emotions of self-esteem. Because why? Because we're putting it dependent on our results. You know, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, and again, the Amplified Version, he says, in this freedom... Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. He says, stand fast then and do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit again to a yoke of slavery, which you have once put off. And then Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. What's that saying there? It's saying the message is the fear of human opinion disables but trusting in God protects us from that. Amen? Amen? Trusting in God protects us from that. Because again, the perfectionist will always worry about, well, what do people think? How do people look at me? How do people judge me? What do people think about me? Do they think I'm worthy? But we have already, we are worthy to God. Amen? Amen. So that trap that many of us experience, well, how do we escape that trap. Well, we escape that trap by ex exalting the knowledge that we have of the word of God over the voice of the enemy. Amen. Over the lies of the enemy. That's how we, that's, that's what we do. That's how we escape it. And you know, the enemy will come in and he will put, you know, lies in your mind and he will speak things to you of you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You can't do that. But that's what those are. Those are lies. So how do we combat those lies with the word of God? 
the word of God. We exalt the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is true. The word of God is firm. The word of God is true then. Now the word of God will be true forever. Amen. The enemy, we know his tactics. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. Amen. So I want to look at a few things about what the word of God says about us. So when that tactic comes in from the enemy and he tries to put those lies, we could exalt our knowledge of God's word over that. Amen. So what does the word say? Well, the word says that God is not angry with me anymore. Amen. The word says he's not angry with us anymore. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, the whole Christian life is really a result of the grace of God in which we stand. And Paul writes this, and Paul's, you know, if you go look at Paul, he's understanding God is not mad at us anymore. God's grace is there. And Paul, if you know the story, he was Saul before he was Paul. He would have been more than anybody to be battling with thoughts of, how maybe does God view me? Is he mad at me? Because before he became Paul, he was persecuting Christians. He was having Christians killed. He was having Christians arrested, but he knew the grace of God. Amen? And we need to realize that God is not mad at us anymore. And why? Not because he decided that sin has no consequences, because sin does have consequences, but that because those consequences were placed on Jesus at the cross. Amen? So the word says God is not angry with me anymore. What else does the word say? Well, the word, it says that we are accepted. Amen. We are accepted. And acceptance is something that people battle, people struggle with their whole life. They look for their whole life. Acceptance maybe from a person, um, a job, whatever it may be. But when we receive Jesus, we are accepted in Christ. We don't have to strive for that acceptance. We don't have to earn that acceptance. We don't need to have to fight for that acceptance. We are accepted. In Ephesians 1.6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. When you receive Jesus, you don't need to worry about fighting for acceptance. You are accepted in the Beloved. You are accepted by God. Amen? Amen. What else does the Word say? The Word says, It is God who does the work within me. It is God who does the work within us. Amen? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Starting in verse 9, Paul again, he writes, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, he says. Like I was just saying. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In Philippians 1.6, he writes, And he says, I am certain that God who began a good work within you, he's writing to them, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. And this part, Philippians 1.6, Paul is confident he's saying that they will maintain their fruitful activity until Christ returns. And he is not basing this on his own belief, not his, he's not basing this on his belief, not on their own faithfulness but in God's purpose and faithfulness until Christ Jesus returns. So we need to know that it is God who does the work within us. Amen? It's him who does the work. It's by his grace that he does the work within us. And, you know, I, wanted, I feel like to strongly encourage somebody, just don't give up. God's going to finish that work in you. Amen? 
don't give up. You know, I'll be honest with you. I remember, um, this just popped in my head now because it's been years, but oh, I don't even remember how many years now, maybe eight years ago, seven, I don't know. But it was when I first took over, so to say, the youth ministry and became the youth pastor. And um, if I'm going to be honest with you, the first two years, I had great moments and very difficult moments. I remember on Wednesday nights, many, t- not all, uh, many times, going home and literally struggling with, oh, I don't know if I could do this anymore. I'm going to have to, I'm just going to go in Friday. I'm going to talk to them and tell them I can't do, I can't do this anymore because I was looking to myself and I remember I finally got, no, it's not me. God is doing a work in me and I will have all that I need because of his grace. And I remember when I came to the realization of that, everything changed because God's going to finish that work that he's doing in us. Amen. It's by his grace. And we need to receive that grace. And that's what we've been talking about. In grace, it requires our faith, not our works. Receiving God's grace requires our faith. It's not on our works. And our faith, it basically gives God the legal right to begin to move in our lives. Amen? He needs to be believed in. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the last thing I want to look at, what does the word say? It says, the word says that I can rest in him. Amen? The word says we can rest in him, in Jesus, find that true rest. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to yoke ourselves to him, come together, attach ourselves to him, let him go ahead and lead us. And that is when we find true rest. You know, rest is something I believe we all want to experience, right? And I remember, you know, I, w- I struggled for a little bit with rest and, you know, I would be tired and whatever it may be. And I would think, okay, well, if I just get home and I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to do nothing. And yes, you can get rest from that naturally, right? If you sit down for a while, your body can recuperate and stuff. But I still wouldn't find true rest. Why? Because my body was resting, so to say, but my mind wasn't. My mind was going 100 miles an hour still. I was, sometimes I was more tired by the end of it than I was before I sat down. And I realized the scripture, true rest is, let, is finding that rest in Jesus. Because, you know, we can experience true rest at all times. Not just when we're sitting down and doing nothing. You could experience rest while you're working, while you're doing your job. Because our rest is found in him. Jesus says, come to me, you who are tired, you who are labor, are heavy laden. He says, he will give us rest. Amen? Amen? We get our rest from him. And one thing I do want to say, too, is, and this is important, is God is way more interested in who we are becoming than what we accomplish. Amen. God is very interested in who we're becoming. And the communion table, Jesus says at the communion table, come and eat. I've already accepted you. Amen. Why don't we all stand up? We're going to worship and then take communion together. But before we do that, I want to make sure if there's anybody in here this morning and you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you have the opportunity to do that. I pray that you could see through the scriptures that we were reading that 
Our salvation, again, it's not on our works. It's based upon the grace of God. It's based upon Jesus receiving him and his finished work at the cross. And Paul, who we read, many of the scriptures we read were written by Paul. He writes in Romans 10, so to say, what qualifies us, you could say, for salvation. He says what qualifies us is if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you believe he came to this earth, and you believe that he went to the cross and to die for your sins, and you believe that he rose again. He says, when we confess that with our mouth and we believe that in our heart, he says, you are saved. Salvation has come. And when that happens, it says God's spirit comes and seals us. We become a new person. It says we become a new creation. Our spirit becomes alive unto him. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Amen. It's a gift of grace, but it is a gift that we need to receive here on earth. We have to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior here on earth. That's the decision we make here. Amen. So why don't we all bow our heads and shut our eyes, and I'm going to lead us into this salvation prayer, and we can all pray this together. But know that if you are praying this for the first time, your life completely changes. Your eternity is secure. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. Amen. So let's pray this. Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he came to this earth and he went to the cross for my sins. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that he rose again. So this day, I repent of my old ways and I acknowledge that I need a savior. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord to be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for now making me a child of God. And I'm going to follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Word of God says, heaven's rejoicing with you, we're rejoicing with you. And we're going to sing a worship song. We're going to take communion together. But at the very end of the service, and I'll remind you, don't just leave. Come up here and tell us, I prayed that salvation prayer. Because you just began this journey with God. And we want to give you a Bible. We want to give you resources. We want to help you as you begin this journey. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Amen? Amen. Well, let's now worship God. And then we're going to take communion together. Amen. You can go ahead. You can take that cup. We're going to take communion together. And you can... Grab the wafer from the top. Take this wafer and this, this bread to take in remembrance of Jesus' body. He says, take, this is my body. And his body was broken for us. It was whipped for us so that we could be whole. Amen. So, Father, we thank you that we can come together, Lord, and take communion together, Father. Father, we take this bread, remembering the price that Jesus had to pay, Lord, that he was broken so we could be whole, Father. He took those lashes so we could be healed to fulfill Isaiah when he wrote, by his stripes we are healed, Father. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for your healing power, Father, that by his stripes we were healed at the cross. We take this bread with thanksgiving, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
We take this juice remembering the blood, the blood of Jesus that was shed to bring us into this covenant with God through his blood. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, the most powerful thing there is, Father, the blood that was shed, Lord, to bring us into this new covenant with you based upon the blood of Jesus on his sacrifice, that he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. We thank you that we are washed and cleansed by his blood, Father. And Lord, I pray we would never, ever take this lightly, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can come to you because of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen, church. Again, if you prayed that salvation prayer for the first time, please don't just leave these doors. Come up, let one of our perkers know I gave my life to Jesus today because we want to give you a Bible. Again, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. We would love to stand in faith with you. Amen. If not, God bless you. We love you. We will see you next weekend for Father's Day.